Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a good crew in the studio. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Brad. And Brian. Good morning. And Bob. Good morning. So we're happy to have you with us today because we're going to have some good topics and discussion. We've got a follow-up question. So we talked about some things last week relative to scours and, and segregating calves for or segregating cows for better nutrition. We'll talk a little bit more about that because we had a listener question after the last podcast. Dustin's got some econ questions for us today, so we'll see how well we fare on those. I know they're the same questions he gives some of his students, so we'll see if we do better or worse than some of his econ students. And then we're going to talk a little bit about hardware disease, which we will occasionally see in both adults and calves. We'll talk about some of the causes, what are some of the things that we can do to manage it. Before we get into those, I wanted to tell you guys there's some, this is the time of year as we come up on calving, but also a good time to get some education. So the Beef Quality Assurance Program is a great program that's that's managed by National Cattlemen's Beef Association here in Kansas. There's going to be four upcoming sessions where you can go get your beef quality assurance training. You need to get that updated every few years. If you're interested, you can contact the Kansas Livestock Association to register for those here in Kansas. But I'd say check where you are locally, too, because this is a great program to be a part of. Guys, today is St. Patrick's Day, so I want to I want to give you guys some St. Patrick's Day trivia questions. So these are different than your questions, Dustin. Dustin's even got on green today in celebration of St. Patrick's Day. So why is St. Patrick's Day on March 17th? Because that's when St. Patrick showed up in Ireland. I don't know. That's when St. Patrick died. Oh, oh okay. Because Saint, in 461 CE. So what was he? What was St. Patrick famous for? What did he get out of Ireland? The snakes. The snakes, exactly. Now, when and where was the first St. Patty's Day parade in the British American colonies? The fact that I'm calling them the colonies should be a clue. Well, probably the... The logical answer is Boston. I'm going to say Aggieville. Boston, what year? 1650. 1650, okay. I'm, I'm going to go with 1760. Dustin? We're going location or year? Uh, he got the location. I'm going to give him that with okay. Boston. You said something in the 1600s? Six, uh, late 1600s. You said late 1700s? Yeah. yeah I'd go another 100 years. I'm going to say 1799. 1737. So that's been going on for a while in Boston. What about the first St. Patrick's Day parade in Ireland? Let's let's go. I'll I'll just be I'll say 1900. Say so, yeah. It's like I think they started in Boston first. I'll go 1500. 1500. I was gonna say 1299. 1903. Wow. I I don't know why they did start in Boston <laughs> first. And Larson's uh, Irish. Trivia knowledge is pretty strong. Well, so. I, I, I had a bowl of Lucky Charms this morning. So. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I'm not sure that those are Irish. So I wanted to follow up. We, we had, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about for calf scours that one of the things that we may want to do is segregate cows that have not calved yet and move them to new pastures before they calve to keep the younger calves away from the older calves, which is a great way to help manage calf scours. Subsequently, Philip last week talked about if my cows are not in good nutrition at the time of calving, I may want to segregate them as they calve and feed them separately. So is there a way to kind of combine those two concepts? Or how do I end up without having 18 calving pastures that I'm trying to manage? Well, that, that is a really good question because it, let me answer it the way I want to answer it, which is 
try not to get into that situation. Try to do your segregated feeding prior to the calving season so that everybody's back to a, a good body condition when they calve. But the question was, I that didn't happen. So we have some differences in body condition. I would try to balance both of those needs. So it may neither one may be ideal. I would I would agree that you know cows that are thin are going to need some additional supplementation and. I, I do like some age segregation, so maybe I, I have to compromise on both of those. But I'm not giving a very good answer, I know, but it's it's the reality of I'm trying to accomplish two different things without getting too complicated, and I'm going to have to probably make some compromises, but I, I really i am trying to prevent calf scours by doing some age segregation, and I think it's important to get some cows extra nutrition if they need it. But But the reason we're segregating, I mean, so yes, I can feed them more appropriately, if I sort off some of the thin cows, but really that's an economic part. So if I need to, I may have to feed more to a larger group because the yep. scours, I mean, it's, and, and at that point, like you said, yep. if, if, if I can't prevent it, then I'm just going to have to pay more to get them where I need them to nutrition. Yeah. And, and some of this has to do with well, what size of a group are we talking about? What percent of the herd needs this extra supplementation? And, if it's if it's a large percent, then maybe just go in all out and just everybody gets more supplementation. If it's a small percent, maybe that is the group that we kind of segregate, and hopefully the ages aren't too far apart. But I'm not compromising on my scours part, right? And, uh, and I get that the nutrition is really important, especially if they're thin. But I'm not, if I have issues with scours, this is my main control technique. Yeah, it is, and and it's really important to me, and. I'm also concerned because my thin cows possibly don't have as good a quality colostrum and those kinds of things. These calves may be at more risk anyway. And so my, my age segregation is, is really important. And then, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of coming around to what I think you're saying is we may need to up the nutrition on cows that were not as thin just to keep my age segregation going. I don't know what you think, Brian. Well, and, and Bob said, you know, depends on what percentage of the herd is thin, right? How many cows are we going to supplement? So that... We may, like you said, we may end up over supplementing a few cows to get the ones that needed enough nutrition. And I think it also depends on how thin are they, right? So if I have a small percentage of cows that's really thin, that needs a lot of feed, I'm probably going to have to find a way to get them on their own pasture. And yes, I'm compromising a little on the scours biosecurity, but I, and again, depending on how things are laid out, I might be able to compensate a little bit by by a, a lower stocking density. So if I have a, a slightly larger pasture, let's say I've got 10 cows that need some extra supplementation, but need a lot of extra supplementation, maybe I put them on a slightly larger pasture than those 10 cows would need in my area. And that kind of spreads out, right? Really, Because really what we're talking about, the, the reason we move cows to that haven't calved to clean pastures is because we're decreasing the load of the virus in the environment. Well, if I spread them out, I'm doing kind of the same thing. So I, I think you, you factor in how many cows and how serious of the supplementation they need. And that will kind of answer some of the questions about where and, and how many. You do have to make sure that just because you've got a bigger pasture, they don't necessarily spread out if you don't give them a reason to spread out. If you, if you, you know, so if you're delivering feed in a bunk and you've got the water and the hay and the bunk all near each other, I don't care how big a pasture you put them in, they're going to stay right there. And so you have to consciously try to pull them apart by separating some of the things that attract cows to an area. Yeah, otherwise they'll sit there. 
Right. They yeah. don't have a. They can be in a large pasture and use a corner of it. They're not explorers. No. Right. Unless unless they have to. I mean, so we think about grazing cows and, and they're out in big grazing lands. They'll go out, but they're not exploring. They're eating. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the winter, they'll sit there and they'll just sit by the feed and the water and the hay bunk or the hay rack, wherever it is. So I think that's a good point. The, the other thing I think as you come into spring, it is challenging. And like you said, prevention is important. But I like to have options of where I can go because we don't know if it's going to be a wet spring or a dry spring. I don't want to tear up my grazing lands, but I like to have some areas where I could put cows into as needed. So if I need to sort a few off, right, as we talked about for nutrition, or if I need to get some of the pregnant cows away from the cows that have calved. And we may, we're not talking about doing six or eight sorts in a calving season. We're talking about in most herds, if you have a relatively tight calving season, one sort two sorts right you don't need a ton of pens to pull this off effectively yeah that's right and it is easier the tighter your calving season is but you know if i can get two sorts in so that's three groups basically i'm usually pretty happy with how much that helps me yeah and and especially if i've had scours in the past so excellent good follow-up guys because i i think that was important to clarify and we had a listener question asking about that so dustin speaking of questions you've got some econ questions for us today so they're not necessarily econ per se Uh, we're going to talk cattle inventory numbers Mm. so we've talked about I don't remember even the last questions that was asked. It was a while ago, but it was on inventory numbers. I think it was cow-calf specifically. But, so I pulled some data from a couple different websites, a couple different sources, I should say. First one is cattle inventory in the United States. You know what the first year they started taking, the USDA started reporting cattle inventory? 1933. No. Hmm. But you said it confidently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I- that that is a good question. I, I I honestly have no idea. But let's let's just to be. I'll say nineteen sixty. I was gonna say sixty. It, it could be way earlier. It was in the sixty sixty seven eighteen sixty seven. Eighteen. Oh, see that that was my other thought was. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, I I would have never guessed. Yeah, either. that's really. Well, but anyway, cattle cattle so, production's been important for a long time. Which year since eighteen sixty seven has had the largest cattle inventory? It's about one hundred thirty two million head. 1969. 1973. I'll go 1984. 75. 132 million head. Smallest inventory was 1867 with about 28.6 million head. All right. So now fast forward to today. January 20, January 1, 2023, we had about 89.3 million head, which is a reduction of 3% from 2022. This is an easy question just to get you warmed up because we're going to get you some difficult ones here in a minute. Which state had the largest? Actually, let's do the top three. Top three largest states that had the largest cattle inventory as of January 1 of this year. Total, total cattle, cattle inventory. Total. Everything. So this okay. includes cows. This includes cattle on feed. Texas. Kansas. Nebraska. Nebraska. I think those three. Which order? Texas, Texas Nebraska, 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 Kansas. Kansas. Yep. yep. So it was Texas, Nebraska, and Kansas. See, like I said, it was a softball just to get <laughs> you guys warmed up. Okay, good. good. All right. I feel like I'm being set up. So now we went from state now we're going to go countries, so globally. Mm-hmm. So now which countries, give me the top four, have the largest cattle inventory? This is in 2021. So this is a trick question to me because sometimes I see India way up there because they count the water buffaloes, and sometimes it, they're not up there because they don't count them. So, uh, And you're laughing at me, so you're not going to tell me the answer, are you? I'll tell you the answer if you get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm going to leave them off, and I'm going to say... Uh, India, 
Uh, put them on there. You're gonna I, put them on. I put them on there. Yeah. Yeah. India, Brazil, U.S. Yep. U.S. And then you get the next one, Bob. Uh, <laughs> uh, Argentina. <laughs> I'll say Canada. So you got the first two: India, which it is, yeah, the water buffalo, which they also have about thirty percent of the total global inventory. Brazil, China, <laughs> and then the U.S. But the U.S. and China were neck and neck. Yeah. Interesting. So here's an, another interesting question that I came across. So which countries had the most cattle per capita in 2021? Give me the top four countries there. Australia. Brazil. Brazil. Australia. It's a good one. Yeah, Brazil's still going to be on there. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to Canada on that one. Argentina. Mexico. Hmm. Got, South Africa. You got Brazil at number four. Okay. Huh. Argentina at number three. Hmm. Per capita. South Africa. Did you, Brian said that. I'm trying to, yeah, is is there a European country in there, Dustin? No. African country? No. Hmm. Southeast Asia? How about we just play this? <laughs> how about we just play by continents, Dustin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be way easier. I'm just see. trying to picture, you know, lots of cows, not very many people. Yeah. South yeah. America. All right. So Uruguay. Uruguay. It's number one. I oh, think. Okay. I'm assuming this must be. Okay. Uruguay. Well, Chile? No, it's all the way. It's uh, New Zealand. Number two. Uh, That's not in I South just America. They had no, I mean, I know. <laughs> First one was, though. So. so the per capita, Uruguay was 3.45 okay. cows oh. per. So there was four countries. Those four countries that you named are the only countries that have more cattle than people. Than humans. Hmm. Yeah, but we live in a state that we have more cattle than people. I should have done that for yeah. the U.S. And we're too. at about, what are, what are we at, about three, three to one? Yeah, which is, cattle. that's a good ratio. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great a, ratio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good ratio. So that's that's the uh, questions. It kept with the theme on production inventory. Uh, so now we'll have to see what we do next time. But we stayed. We've talked consumption. We've talked production. I think there's still some more production we can do, but we'll see. Absolutely. So I think it's interesting thinking about those inventory numbers and how they change. And you talked about how the peak number of cattle was in the mid 70s and then we have decreased and you look at the, the decrease over time in number of cattle. But our actual beef production and pounds of meat has gone up during that same period. Right. So we've lost, I don't know what the exact numbers are. Well, I guess I do because I just <laughs> told you, you guys. Must. But uh, I don't know what, what point. I mean, we are producing as much, if not more, beef. But it's primarily coming to where feeding cows a little longer. Yeah. Genetics. Um, they're, then, they're bigger cattle. They're turning more, over faster more efficient yeah. too so well and not to be overestimated is the reproductive yeah. efficiency on the cow side so we have cows that are having their first calf at at two in many situations rather than three or four and then with some of the technologies and management they're having a calf every year we have a calf every year that makes a huge difference. Bob, you've had some conversations with folks about the reproductive efficiency that some countries that have a lot more cows, if their reproductive efficiency is hovering in the 60s, once that picks up, it dramatically changes the amount of beef you can produce. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the places when you go worldwide, some of these countries, particularly in South America, because of the weather and humidity, you know, so temperature, humidity, those types of things, they use breeds of cattle which mature much later so it's very difficult to get them to calve for their first time at two years of age and some of the issues with fertility because of forage quality throughout the year yeah we're blessed here we have the opportunity to have pretty good reproductive efficiency if we work at it but you've got the trade-off with boss endicus influence mm -hmm. they tend to breed a little bit later how much later do they breed well 
six months to a year later. And that, but, but it's a trade-off you make because they, they thrive in that environment because of the parasite load and the temperature and humidity. It's not, it's not the, the quick trip, the quick fix isn't to just take our genetics and take it down there. That may not work very well at all. You got to match the environment, but we have the advantage of earlier maturity and we're kind of keeping an eye on that. You know, some of the breed associations are, are working hard to make sure we don't lose that uh, focus of early maturity, good fertility. Yep, absolutely. And, and I'm going to switch topics. The, the last topic we want to talk about is hardware. So Brian, tell me wh- what is hardware disease? So, so hardware disease. So you, you think about the cattle, the ruminant digestive tract and they, you know, cattle are not particularly picky about grazing. And so oftentimes they'll ingest, we use the, the medical term foreign body, but basically a non-feedstuff item, right? Nuts, and, bolts, wires, yep, anything yep. that's not uh, Any, bolted yep. down. Anything, okay. yep. And uh, so their digestive tract sits just on the other side of their diaphragm from their, from their, chest, from their chest cavity. And so they ingest these nuts, bolts, wires, whatever, pieces of metal. And that actually can, they, they'll swallow it. It gets into one of their stomach compartments and then it can actually move out and move into their chest. And, and obviously when it does that, it pulls the bacteria that are in the digestive tract out into other places. And, um, it can be cattle are really good at making abscesses. So trying to wall off infections. And so they can, sometimes it'll be just a small abscess there that they, they wall off and, uh, you might see some decreased performance and stuff, but they'll move forward. Uh, if that wire moves in the right direction and far enough, um, they actually go into their the sac surrounding their heart, and they get an infection there, and um, those cattle don't typically do well. So um, it's it's kind of this in, ingesting things that they shouldn't be eating, and then those go somewhere they shouldn't outside the digestive tract. And I said earlier they're not explorers, but that's actually how they explore, is putting yeah. stuff in their mouth right. and yeah. – <laughs> Potentially eating it, and they will do that. And the easiest scenario to think of is if you, if you have a wire and it goes into a compartment of the stomach, the reticulum, where it's going to fall out, and that compartment of the stomach is relatively small, smaller than a volleyball or ish. And then when it contracts, if it contracts, that wire basically pokes through the edge of the stomach, or any foreign body can do this. So, Bob, what, what might I see if I see a cow and I say, well, she, she might have hardware. What am I actually – because I can't see any of the stuff that Brian talked about. Yeah, and, and one of the – there's a couple of different signs that we might see. One is a really technical, specific veterinary term called ain't doing right. And <laughs> um, so it can be just kind of this cow, I don't know why she's losing weight. She doesn't seem to be, you know, doing the, well. Doesn't have it's a not, fever. Doesn't seem to be an infection. Right. But it's not real clear, but she's really kind of dropping back. Um, and th- those are hard to diagnose because uh, it could be anything or everything. Uh, but that is one of the signs that the classic textbook, which cows don't always read the textbook. In fact, they oftentimes don't. But if it does affect the heart, some of the things they talk about that you will see occasionally is they kind of stand with their elbows out think about a painful chest difficult you know so painful to breathe they've got some possibly some heart issues so that they get edema under their chin because their heart's not working well so those would be kind of end stage if if you see those types of things this is probably not going to turn out very well and pretty soon not going to turn out very well 
whatever the cause, right? It's, whether it's hardware or not, because you because you can have, and you'll see some of those same signs if if you did have cattle that are having a heart insufficiency mm-hmm. for any reason. Yeah, but hardware is one of the first things that we would think about. A- exactly. So, so that's what you'd look at. The, then what you do about it, you know. So sometimes we will actually open them, open them up, reach your arm down into the stomach and try to pull it out. That actually works not very often, yeah. uh, but it's something you can try. Uh, dairy cattle, we commonly put a magnet in their rumen or down their throat so that it sits in that reticulum. And, and the thought there is that any pieces of metal will stick to the magnet and be less likely to migrate through. And and that that is something one can do. The other main thing that we do is is our feed suppliers have magnets in the milling process to try to pull out because these pieces of wire can come from the from the cornfield, from the hayfield. They can come from anywhere. Uh, and so the feed producers have magnets. And if you're producing your own feed, that's something to think about. And also, sometimes, sometimes feed trucks, yeah, well, yeah feed will trucks. have the they'll have a magnet on there to try to pull stuff out. And you do have to having a magnet is not the whole solution. Uh, you you actually have, have to check the magnet yes, and clean it off. Pull it off. Yeah. And and so those are some of the things you do. And commonly we don't put magnets just in every beef cow. But if I'm in a herd that's had a couple of these issues. We might start putting some magnets in cows because we know they're getting exposed somewhere. Well, and and stuff in the pasture, right? So you have you have stuff in the pasture that they'll eat or whatever, and that is what they're doing is exploring. And as Brian talked about, once once we get to that, once it pokes through, the problem is actually no longer the wire. It's right. that bacteria that sets up the infection, and infections in the chest or in the abdomen are rarely good. Right, and cows are great at that, producing that's a, inflammatory that, tissue. You're a veterinarian, aren't uh, you? Well, you could tell. Yeah, yes, we had that. that. We one. had that whole chapter. What stuff that's rarely good? Yeah, and, and this was <laughs> right in the middle of that chapter. Yeah, yeah, having yeah, like you said, the wire, the wire itself isn't typically, or the screw or bolt or nail or whatever it is. You know, that's not typically. It's the it's the secondary things that happen after that penetrates through the stomach. So yeah, and Bob kind of Bob went straight to treatment. He kind of skipped over diagnosis. You know, this is this is one typically they don't have like a classic sign that we'd say, hey, if they look like this, this is what it is. Whenever you have one of those cows that ain't doing right, um, it's it's probably worth having your veterinarian just check it out. And as Bob said, this is pretty high on the list usually. So um, be one of the first things I would look for. There you uh, go. Absolutely. So. That's a, a good thing to keep an eye out and much better to prevent. So try to, we try to prevent those things in the feedstuffs, the most likely area. There could be other places. And if you have one that's not doing right, have your, have your veterinarian come check them out. So good discussions today, guys. Appreciate you joining us. As always, if you have questions, topics, things you'd like us to s- discuss on a future episode, you can send us an email at bci.ksu.edu. At